that you can't escape the fact that the Crest model is a brilliant, brilliant guiding light for you, you know, if you're wanting to raise money successfully. Welcome to the How to Raise Money podcast for anyone who wants to raise other people's money for a business or property venture. Right now, there has never been more money on the planet and there has never been more opportunity. This podcast will help you put the two together. So, if you need money for your business or property proposals from banks, lenders, angels, whales or dragons, this is the podcast for you. Hey everyone, and welcome to the 150th episode of the How to Raise Money podcast. Nigel, it's my turn to ask, how the devil are you? <laughs> Completely caught off guard, caught <laughs> off guard. Had 149 episodes to get used to that. Completely blanked it, blown <laughs> it now, ruined it. Ray, I, I tell you what, I am excited. I'm excited. My flabber has been gasted. I cannot mm -hmm. believe we are still here, still going. We've still got we've still got wonderful listeners. Thank you so much, everyone who has listened, commented, reviewed, uh, you know, sent us emails. Um, it's absolutely amazing that we've managed to do it. I have definitely lost a fiver because I I didn't think we would get anywhere near this, but. <laughs> 150 episodes. I think we've covered just about uh, everything there is to cover. Um, well, there are a few things coming up, but uh, we're going back over the Crest model because that is the is the framework around how to raise money. And um, we're covering credibility in about five episodes. And I don't mean that in five episodes from now. I think it's going to take about five episodes to cover credibility because there's so many parts to it. Yeah, right. You know, one of the things that I've always been amazed at as we've been talking through this, we talked about how the economies influence things, how, you know, macro events and uh, wars and famine and pestilence and plague and all the gates of evil aligning, um, idiots in charge, in charge of things, idiots not in charge of things, uh, the banks, the behavior of people. And we've spoken about all these things and I've rarely been off the soapbox on many of them, but when you talk about coming back to the fundamentals, you can't escape the fact that the Crest model is a brilliant, brilliant guiding light for you, you know, if you're wanting to raise money successfully for your business or property ventures, it is the best way to do it. So 150 episodes in, it's high time we went back and looked at this in detail gave it a bit of a forensic analysis, added in a few of our uh, now legendary, legendary uh, sort of old bloke dad stories type thing <laughs> and, and things like that. But, you know, you, you sometimes you can dress things up, but it's fundamentals, isn't it? So that's mm. what we're doing. Indeed, fundamentals. So, so, all right, on with the podcast. Let's go. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another podcast episode, How to Raise Money, with me, Ray McLennan. And it's with me, Nigel T. Best. Raymondo, how Nigel. the devil are you, my good man? Nigel, another day, another dollar, another step towards Armageddon, <laughs> <laughs> if you read the news. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yes, it, it's still heading the, the way of uh, total self-destruction and stupidity. Mm appears to be the order of the day 
So, which, is uh, inter- which is interesting because we're going to talk today about credibility and uh, it's something that the mainstream media news seems to be lacking in and politicians seem to be lacking in it as well. So, Nigel, I think it's important we talk about credibility. Yeah, d- definitely. At the moment, folks, if you're thinking what is credibility, it's kind of, I always think, you know, it's other people's perception of you or mm. what you stand for. And we're going to go through a whole long list here so we've got loads of content for you here folks this is a a really good uh, episode lots in it for everyone and it's it's for all those people out there that are thinking i'm about as credible as boris johnson organizing a secret party uh you know it's where am i at uh, that's what you think people think of you half the battle ray is you know we don't often know what other people think of us so I don't know. Maybe the first question should be, go and ask some people what they think of you. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Put your tin hat on. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Be prepared to lose some friends. (laughs) Or just put a question onto social media and you'll find out. (laughs) Well, yeah, true. True. That's very true. Okay. So uh, we've got a whole lot of credibility because um, when it comes to raising money, then we talk a lot about the crest model. And the C, the letter C in the Crest model is credibility. So quite a few points to go through. Um, Nigel, why don't you kick off with the first one? Yeah, the first one we've got down, and it's the one, Ray, that most people think about. They think, I haven't got one. That means I am doomed. Uh, Everything's going to go wrong. And you're probably thinking, my goodness, what's that? And it's the one called track record. Everyone thinks that in order to be able to raise money, They've got to have a perfect track record, a long track record, a successful track record. And they are worried that without it, there is no hope for them. So what is a track record? Well, if you're wanting to raise money for a commercial conversion, you're thinking, yes, I need a track record for someone to lend me money of having successfully done 25 commercial conversions so far. Now, this always prompts the question of chicken and egg, sort of, well, how do I get the money to do something to get the track record when I haven't got the track record to get the money to do it. And it it's something that uh, you can understand why people think this. They're thinking, do you know what? Raising money would be so much easier if I have a fantastic track record. And there's no denying it. it it's true. It should be easier if you've got a great track record. But, you know, if you don't you know, if the question is, what if I don't have a track record and you're looking at doing a, you know, a 400 apartment conversion from one of the biggest, you know, commercial properties on in the West End of London and you're looking to raise 400 million. Well, maybe it's a case of your credibility at that point. There's going to be very few people who can pull that one off, who's got a track record of doing it. So look at doing something where it's easier to develop that track record. Look at something that is, depending on where you are, and if you say, well, what if I've done nothing? Well, don't start on something too big. You know, if you're looking to do it, most people, if they're lending you money, will say, all right, you haven't got a track record of doing those commercial conversions. You haven't got a track record of doing a small house conversion into a a buy-to-let. So you're just going to get it, do it up, rent it out, and you're just looking for someone to help you out doing that. 
Um, that's going to be an easier step. It's going to be something that when you've done one buy to let, you've got a track record. Yes, I've done one. When you're looking at doing a slightly bigger one, it may be into an HMO, a house of multiple occupation, then the, you can turn around and say, well, I've done a buy to let. I've done two buy to lets. And it's probably one of these things where you can't shortcut it. Okay, there are ways and we're going to talk about a way that you possibly can shortcut it. But if you're doing everything yourself, you're going to have to look at this and say, okay, I want to get to these uh, projects, these property conversions, these massive things down the line. But in order to get there, I'm going to have to take some baby steps. I'm going to have to take some bigger steps um, because that project that I've got in my you know, eye line that really is where you are full out, flat out sprinting if you go from that. So if, if you haven't learned to crawl or walk yet, you need to sort of adjust your target in order to build up that track record. And once you do build up that track record, it's great because it's often the first question that lenders will ask you. What's your track record in this sort of thing? And so you've always got to think, well, I've got a track record of things almost at this level. This next one that I'm wanting the money for is just a bit of a stretch, just a little bit further. And people sort of go, oh, okay, yeah, I'm happy with that because I can see you building up your track record. So there's two things. If you haven't got a track record at all, then you need to start at a level whereby maybe the track record is less of an important factor in lending you the money. And if you are building a track record, then look for the next project that is just incrementally just ahead of what you've been doing. So there's a couple of things on a track record. When, you know, the, the question's always, well, when should I start building, you know, any of my credibility? The answer is always right now. Start right now. Get out there, find it. Find the lenders, look at what they look for. Look at the track record that they're asking for. Ask people who are lending money and say, okay, what sort of lending would they do where the track record is, is almost nothing? Uh, look at, you know, what, if I want to get to this level, what sort of track record do I need to do? So you need to get out there, do your research, find out where you are, because you will be able to raise money, whatever level of track record you've got. From zero to hero, you'll be able to borrow money, but it has to be in line with where they see your track record, your, you know, and if it's going to work for you. Because all they want, Ray, is they want their money back at the end of it. That's it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Of course, there's another way to get a track record, Nigel, which is to piggyback. You know, you can piggyback, in other words, do a joint venture with somebody who has a great track record. You know, you hear there's older mentors that take on younger mentees and work with them so you can get sort of pretty much instant track record by piggybacking um, and by sitting and watching look over the you know sit on the shoulders of giants look over their shoulder see what they're doing and then if you're a director of that company you can turn around with, you know and quite credibly say i was a director of that company and we did a commercial conversion um, we're now looking to do the next one um, which is a good way of, of doing it all right so uh, that takes us on to number two on our list which is experience now Difference between experience and track record. Well, this is your life experience. What have you done till now? Have you got any experience of running a team? Have you got communications experience? Have you got, everybody has experience in something. Thinks me back to um, when 
you know, every one of us, when we first apply for a job, you know, they'll always say, you know, um, what experience do you have? And you're like, well, I haven't got any. And then oh, well, we're looking for someone experienced. Well, how am I supposed to get experience if you won't give me the flipping job? You know, we've all had that and we've all managed to overcome it. So there are experiences that you have in life that will lend themselves to whatever project it is that you're doing. Now, and again, once you've got uh, a track record, that brings its own experience because there'll be lessons learned. That's what experience does is, is it's, there, there is a quote somewhere, isn't there, that says experience is, uh, is the lessons we've learned from the things we've done badly. And um, to a certain extent, that's true. But experience is uh, it's wide ranging. You know it when you see it. When somebody's experiencing something, you, you just know it when you see it. So what if you don't have any experience? Well, again, you can, you can get it by getting out there and doing it piggybacking, joining, doing joint ventures with people, um, getting involved. You know, I know lots of builders, developers that have come looking for funds and they started off by being a laborer on a site. They started laboring and then they went from laboring to doing something slightly more skillful, like bricklaying or something like that. Um, and then laying foundations and learning about concrete, that sort of thing. And then they work their way up. So they get the experience from, from that way. And then we have others who people who are professionals, they've made a lot of money and they decide they want to get involved in uh, doing building work or, or developing developments. And they don't have a track record, but they have got business experience. So they know how to handle accounts. They know how to deal with, with uh, the nebulous things that all surround a development. So you see experience comes in many, many forms. So uh, that's track record. That's experience. Yeah, Ray, I'm, I'm just thinking back to a time when I was... I was helping someone out and he wanted to take, you know, create a new business online. He, he had an idea. He, he thought he'd like to share some of his experience and track record. Now, I had to tease out a, a bit about him and I, I found out that, uh, you know, he was very interested. Um, for, for the sake of this conversation, I'll, I'll keep it sort of hidden. But let's say he had a, an idea. He wanted to help people with their sleep problems, their sleep patterns. And he found that, you know, he thought that a lot of people would benefit from, you know, a good night's rest and that they would be far more productive, far happier, uh, far healthier if they could do that. But he was, he was very concerned that he didn't feel he had any um, credibility in that. And he didn't really have any experience and there was no track record for it. And I said, well, okay, the track record in terms of building a business a digital business, taking it into the internet and doing all those things. Yeah, I get that, but that's okay because you just get the help of someone who knows what they're doing uh, to set things up, build your website, do your emails, those sort of things. Mm. But he was most concerned about the fact that he said, well, I'm not sure anyone will take me seriously with my knowledge uh, about sleep patterns and, and helping people with sleep. And we chatted about it for a bit and um, he, he sort of said, yes, you know, I think my friends would be, you know, I think they would poo poo it and they'd message me and say, what do you think you're doing? And, and all the rest of it. And I just, I realized I'd not asked him what he did for the majority of his time. I said, you know, okay. So um, we call him Bill, Bill, what, what do you do? You know, most of the time when you're not thinking of this, he said, Oh, I'm uh, yeah. I, I sort of, uh, I work in academia and stuff. And I said, oh, right, what, what sort of thing? He said, well, I'm a professor. 
And I said, oh, nice, nice. What, uh, what sort of things are you working on? Well, I'm, I'm one of the, the world's foremost professors on the research of sleep and the benefits for people's health and wealth and lifestyle. And I went, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. You just told me that you're worried that you don't think you know enough about it and your friends are going to have a go. I said, where's all that from? He said, well, my friends are the other professors in the sleep arena and they know just as much as me. And I said, okay, are you going to be selling your sleep help product solution to your friends? He went, oh God, no, no, they'd never buy it. I said, right. So who else, who are you going to sell it to? And he said, well, well, just, you know, the general public, people with sleep problems. And I said, and do you think that they're going to look at you as a professor of sleep research and, and product development type things into sleep benefits um, and think that you might have a touch of experience, track record, credibility? And he went, oh, well, I suppose if you put it like that, mm. yes, I, I guess they do. And, and I just said, wow, isn't that amazing? You had imposter syndrome you were worried about what your peers would say and um, you were completely forgetting who your target audience was, who your customer was and how they would view you. And so, Ray, it was just, I, I just chuckled and it, he ended up roaring with laughter at just how ridiculous it sounded when he said, yes, I'm a, one of the world's leading professors in this subject and I don't believe I've got any credibility. And he, he just said, yeah, when you put it like that, that's the most ridiculous thing to think, isn't it? And I went, but we all do it. We hmm. all do it in here. We don't think we've got a track record. We, we uh, sort of really dismiss our own experience and we really think that we need to do something else to give ourselves credibility when we're actually you know, dripping in credibility. Um, yeah. it, it just, it's amazing. And I'm sure, Ray, you've met people as well who... It's reminding me of a story of the opposite of that, actually, um, of a guy that was really, really blowing his own trumpet. And uh, it was when, this is back when we were doing presentations in London, people would come to meet investors and they would do a presentation, they'd get 10 minutes to present. And it was very early on in this process because uh, as a result of this, we started to... Um, we started to check the presentations they were doing and the presentation would have to be run past us before. So at this point, we were letting people just come up and do their 10 minute presentation without us having seen the presentation. Well, we knew the gist of it, but without us having watched them deliver it. Um, and as a result of this guy, we made sure that from now on, we were gonna make sure that, that everyone uh, ran it past us first. And I remember we were in the room, so it's in an office, central London, 20, 30 investors there, front of the stage, the guy's on the stage, and he's droning on about all these projects he's delivered of 50 million and 100 million and 200 million and, and big infrastructure projects and all the rest of it. And here he was now looking for a mere paltry £1 million to do his own development. Um, and he didn't get the money. Now, he didn't get the money. And I was sitting there thinking, well, I can see why. He's quite arrogant. He's coming across of, well, I don't really need your money, but I suppose I have to, you know, put out the begging bowl. But, hey, you know, I'm used to dealing with budgets of 50 million. The reason he didn't get it is because it's completely different. Experience and track record of dealing with budgets of 50 million, 100 million and big infrastructure projects is completely and utterly different to doing something on your own. Because with those big infrastructure projects, you've got, you're surrounded by professionals whose job it is to do a piece of the jigsaw. But when you're doing your own development, you are the jigsaw. You've got to do everything. 
And it's completely different to handling uh, that level of money when you're used to dealing a load amount of money. And I remember speaking to some of the investors and they said, well, I don't think he'd, he'd be in control of the budget because for a million pounds, he's treating it as paltry and anything happens, he's the kind of guy that would call up a professional. And, and before he wouldn't see the bill for that, but this time he's going to be calling professionals and they're going to be presenting him with a bill. He said, and the costs are just going to run away. So you can see how experience and track record can work in the opposite effect. Here was a guy with tons of it, but it was in a different area, different arena, not, not, not a small commercial conversion. So, Yeah, Ray, you know, I, the other day uh, I met up with a friend who I've done a, a JV with, a property project with, and we were talking about things, and he's involved in kind of construction development side of things, and we were talking about the scarcity of decent people who understood a project. And he looked at me and he said, um, do you know the best people that we've found who come through, who are able to have a good grip on a, an entire project from start to finish. And I said, no, I don't, I don't. Who, who are you thinking? And he said, the ones that we've found consistently are the best, are joiners. And I, I said, right, talk me through it. He said, well, often they're involved, apart from the groundworks, but sometimes they're even involved in doing the, the forming of the box sections where the concrete might be put or, or whatever. He said they are pretty much there from the beginning of a project right through to the final snaggings and, and they're involved in it. So they see how everybody else works. So they see the groundworks guys come in. They see the sort of the block work going up and the fitting of the door frames and the windows. And then they see you know, the guys that come in and do first fix on electrics or plumbing, and, and then they're involved again. And all the way through as they do the, the plasterboarding and they plaster it out. And I said, you know, I'd never really thought of it like that. And he said, yeah, these joiners are, are pretty good. And they, and they do it from big sort of construction elements down to the finest details and maybe bespoke carpentry elements and, and they're there with the fitting the skirting boards and hanging the doors and making sure it's all good coming back and uh, you know finishing off bits where they've got shrinkage or warpage and, and things and I said right okay and does um does anyone tell a, a joiner um that you could be um you know a, a project leader or whatever someone that's running these big things, someone that's going to be ideal for property development. And he said, no, not a single one has ever realized the skills that they've got and the ability to organize. He said, you often see them on site organizing the other people. Mm. Uh, so the other trades. And he said, and none of it is involved, you know, as, as part of their training. But he said, they're often the ones who suddenly, for whatever reason, either the project manager has, has walked off for the day and they sort of step in and then realize they can do it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's amazing. He's, he said, it's amazing how many people on the trades dismiss what they know um, and don't realize how important it is in terms of uh, experience track record in terms of doing that. But he said, keep an eye out for a good joiner who's been involved on some, you know, self-builds, new builds, smaller sort of developments, he said, because they are often cracking people to have on your team mm -hmm. uh, to have, you know, going forward. So, yeah, it, it's weird who 
who ends up being a real linchpin of a real sort of know-it-all far more than their specific skill or trade so yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting okay so credibility okay. i think we're going yeah. to have to call this part one <laughs> yeah maybe so um credibility when it comes down to it so i had that story there the professor who was the the world's expert in it who who didn't realize that was of any use in his credibility but a lot of people um <clears throat> when it comes to uh, their employment history they've been employed all their life and now they're looking at stepping out into the entrepreneurial world where it's a little bit scary and uh, people are thinking right okay i've got some issues here and we've got some financial issues we've got some is my employment history any good uh, all those sort of things and think to yourself a couple of things if you're trying to raise money if you're going to high street lenders and regular lenders they understand you being employed so your credibility if you're wanting to raise money and you have a job is instantly at a certain level if your job is a well-paid job you've been doing it quite a long time and there's a steadiness to it again that improves your credibility in terms of being able to raise money for for certain projects up to a certain level just think of it if you went to get a mortgage and you said, yeah, I'm, I'm employed, my job, yeah, 50,000 a year salary. Okay, we'll do four times salary. We'll lend you 200 grand. You know where you are. It's quite easy. That, that route to credibility is quite well trodden. Uh, and that's very good. Ray, I have met a number of people on property events where they're in a good, well-paid job and they're saying, right, I'm going to do this property. So I'm going to jack my job in on monday and then i'm going to raise some money on my own house and then i'm going to use that money to buy other properties and it's kind of hey john look let's just hold on a second he says no 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 i'm going to do it i said right you go in last week before you came here and ask for a mortgage on your property and you're in a 50 grand a year job how happy are they to lend you money so oh, yeah yeah do you know what the other they're all over it all over it I've got a bit of money, a bit of equity in the house. Yeah, they'd lend me 100 grand. Yeah, that's perfect. I said, okay, you go in on Monday and you say, ask for the same loan, having just jacked your job in, resigned, left, told the boss where he can stick it. And their first question is, uh, okay, you're employed, aren't you? No, uh, I guess technically I'm unemployed. So what's your income? Um, well, it was 50,000 last week as well yes that's fine but what is it this week uh nothing all right at that point folks you have just put a hole in your credibility boat and some people then sort of go well i'll tell them how good i'm going to be at property i said that is like having a hole in the bottom of your boat and instead of scooping the water out you decided to drill another hole to let the water drain out it just means you go down quicker folks so You've got to think to yourself, okay, my employment history, if you are employed, stay employed whilst you are taking your first steps out there because your credibility as an employee is great with lenders. Um, as soon as you start going entrepreneurial on your own, you need to provide, and here's, here's the kicker, you often need to provide two or three years of your own accounts, your own earnings, 
your own accounting return for it. And if you think about it, at that point, you've gone back to number one, which was track record. Your track record as an entrepreneur is zero. So not only have you jacked in your job, but you don't have a track record as an entrepreneur. So you've given yourself a double hurdle to try and overcome mm -hmm. on this one. So if your employment history, just on the financial side, if you're thinking I'm going to do something, do that thing alongside being employed if you can, if you can, because you are going to retain your credibility as a good um, lendee. Uh, you know, people will say, yeah, okay, you've been employed 20 years. That's great. We're happy with that. And then you can build your thing on the side. So if you take the equity and want to do something with that equity, you know, your credibility as an employee is still high. Mm -hmm. That might give you the ability to build up some credibility in terms of track record with the money that you've raised over the next few years to a point where you are generating a return that a lender would look at you and say, as an entrepreneur, hey, you've got a good track record for the last two, three years. Well done. We'll lend you money. At mm. that point, you can leave your job. Now, I know some people are going, oh, my goodness, I cannot stay in my job another minute more, never mind two or three years. So, well, okay, go into it. If that's the case, go into it with your eyes wide open. You are going to hit some credibility issues as soon as you jack your job in. The other thing, is your employment history. You may think it is nothing to do with being an entrepreneur, but you will have picked up skills in your job uh, that will be super transferable. And Ray, I have had conversations with people and I've had conversations with people who've been in the construction industry, a quantity surveyor, um, you know, people who have managed projects, people who have organized things, and, and they come and say, well, I don't really have any relevant skills. Um, and then you start talking to them about, well, what do you know about house? They said, well, um, I've, helped, uh, I've helped people uh, build them. Uh, I work on them. I've project managed them. And you go, what do you mean? You've got no, no credibility from your employment. It says that you are dripping in it dripping in the stuff you know for goodness sake get it out there give it and put it in front of people because right whenever we go to an event and somebody says oh i'm looking to jv with someone um i've never done a property like this but i have worked for a construction company and we've delivered or built in sort of three or four housing developments we've done about two 250 of those uh, and i've been project manager on them all and the number of people <laughs> who were distracted looking at their phone who suddenly put their pad their phone down turn to look at the person and think right that woman that man i need to work with them because my god their employment history has just given them a level of credibility which is incredible mm -hmm. so don't dismiss what you do in your job as not being transferable or having some credibility with a lender, with a JV partner, with anyone that you are looking to work with going forward. Don't underestimate it. Yeah. Tell people what, you, what you've done, what you do, and let them be the judge of it. Yep, so, indeed. There you go. So that's employment history. Okay, so we've covered track record, we've covered experience, we've covered employment history. Now we're going to talk about education. Now, 
Um, most people think about education, they think, oh, well, I've got my GCSEs or my A-levels or whatever it happens to be. No, we're, I'm talking here about specific education, property education. Um, the education you get at school will take you so far, but it doesn't take you, um, it doesn't take you really into the real world. We have this... Um, we have this disjoint at the moment between um, formal education and what the real world actually wants. And it reminds me of the story of, um, there's a guy, I think his name is Dwight Edwards. And Dwight Edwards was a, a African-American from the projects in Chicago, whatever it was, who dreamt of designing footwear. So way back, we're talking about, you know, 70s, 80s, he wanted to design footwear. And uh, everybody said to him, you know, you've set your sights too high. Don't be thinking like that. You know, you're not, you're never going to make anything of it, et cetera, et cetera. Well, eventually guess what he did? He ended up designing footwear and he ended up designing footwear for Nike. And then he noticed there was a massive disconnect between the graduates that Nike were bringing in and the amount of work that they could do. So that in other words, their education was not fit for purpose. So they were having to re-educate them. Anyway, fast forward a few years and he ended up creating a, uh, his own college, his own university uh, called Pensole, P-E-N-S-O-L-E, Pensole University. Um, and its specific purpose was to take people who wanted to work in the footwear industry and train them up. But instead of doing a university degree over two, three, four years, it was a 12-week intensive course. And this 12-week intensive course separated the men from the boys, the wheat from the chaff, because the ones that didn't want to work really fell by the wayside and the ones that were committed and wanted to do it obviously ended up graduating and they all got a job at the end of it and when they got the job they hit the ground running so they were immediately useful employees for the company and I think that model needs to be replicated right across the board because there is this disconnect between the formal education and the education that the world needs or that employers want to see. But the education uh, I want to talk about here in terms of how to raise money is there are property education companies out there that will teach you the aspects of um, commercial conversions. They'll teach you the aspects of building houses of multiple occupancy. They'll teach you the aspects of buying buy to let. And there's the arguments often put out there that, well, why do you want to pay for that education? Why would you want to pay when there's so much information free or there's books or whatever it happens to be? Well, yes, there are. But here's, here's kind of the crux of uh, why I think paying for education is a good thing. Because you will end up paying for it one way or the other. You'll either end up paying for it in the mistakes that you make and in the contacts that you don't make. And in the things that you don't know, you're going to end up missing all of that. Whereas with property education, you get to meet lots of people and you get to hear lots of things. So I'll give you some examples. Through property education, I know people that have got involved and they've learned the best place to raise finance, for example. They, they know what rates are. They've learned how to pitch. That's an education in itself. They've learned the art of pitching to raise money. They've also learned about tax. They've learned who the best accountants are. They've learned that you can purchase property without paying stamp duty, for example, in some cases. Uh, they've learned that there are all sorts of tax breaks when it comes to property, such as structural building allowance or um, capital allowances. Now, I, I know developers who've been developing for 10, even 15 years. And when I mention some of these things to them, they don't even know that that exists. And they'll say, well, why didn't my accountant tell me? Well, because your accountant has not been educated properly. He's not 
he's not gone out to develop the skills that you need. So there are, for example, accountants out there and lawyers who have their own property portfolios. These are the kind of guys you want to, to, be, um, to be talking to and paying for their services. Uh, so education, uh, when we talk about it here, we mean education, the property education around what it is that you want to do. There are lots of companies out there. There's, there are lots of things that are free online. Yes, there are lots of books, but I don't think you can actually beat face-to-face, -face, sitting in a room with other people, learning all the stuff that the books don't teach you. Because the books say one thing, um, and then they reinforce that with the property education, but then also you learn um, skills, knowledge, experience from other people. You learn tips and tricks and insider secrets and all sorts of things. Uh, so that's education. So we've covered track record, we've covered experience, we've covered employment history, and we've covered education in this credibility section, part one. Yeah, Ray, before we just move on, on the education side, I'm just going to chip in a, a couple of other things on here. Yep. Um, if you think about it, nobody does a GCSE in sales. Nobody, I'm not aware of any university courses which are for selling um, directly. I'm not aware of how you can, in this world, avoid teaching people the most crucial and fundamental aspect of everything about business, raising money, and all the rest of it. If you think about it, when you are going asking for money, you're selling yourself. Uh, if you are going and you're building a business and you want to get rid of that business, you, you, you're either selling the business as a whole or you're selling products, services within the business to grow the business. Everything about what we do is selling and we just do not do it at all. And I mean, Ray, we've got uh, resources uh, within the htrmoney.co.uk forward slash resources. We're going to be building that out to help people with some of these things overcome some of these issues because some of the crippling reasons why people don't raise money is they lack the confidence that comes with their skills and, and their credibility. They've got everything they need, but they lack the confidence. And we're going to talk about this in some of the other uh, elements here of credibility but Ray you do the skill stack um, we do stuff here how to raise money where we are telling people okay we're giving the, you this education this information so you can practice it and with practice and knowledge comes confidence and that confidence then comes through it flows through in the ability to take someone who has a problem and you have the solution and not only do you talk about how you can help them with that solution, why they'd want that solution, overcome their objections to it, but you actually ask them to sign on the dotted line. You get that sale. And I know so many people who've had conversations with people about a JV and the JV partners going, oh, yeah, yeah, they seem really good. They seem, you know, a lot of credibility. I like the project. It was this, that. I said, well, why didn't you do it? Well, they just kept talking and it sounded like they were, didn't actually ever want to do the deal. So mm. they never actually asked me, you know, to sign on the dotted line. And, and that selling aspect of the educational aspect of getting people to commit, getting people to um, join with you, getting people to sign the document, to pay, make the payment, to lend the money, to transfer the money to your account or whatever, 
it's lost. It's not taught. So that's what we try and do. We try and help people with that on the education side of things. And Ray, you know, my eldest at, at the time that we're recording this is just finishing university. And um, he wants to go into a certain career. At the moment, you can't get into that. Uh, there's a backlog and they're still working through it. But in the meantime, he was looking for jobs. And I said, look, get yourself a sales job. I said, it will, it will teach you so many things. It'll teach you how to deal with rejection. It'll teach you how to do all sorts of things. Um, and I even, at one point, I said, yeah, never, never mind that. I said, learn how to be a bricklayer. And he went, what? I said, <laughs> I've just seen they are on £2,000 a week at the moment, what? a bricklayer. And I said, I'm thinking of having a go. <laughs> and he went, oh, he said, oh, dad, don't do one of those stupid things. I went, what do you mean stupid things? He said, well, whenever you can't get hold of someone or do something, or you, you, you're curious about something, and how does that work? And you can't find out you end up going on some sort of course and learning to do it. And I said, well, okay, what, what are you thinking? He said, well, all those years ago, you couldn't get a plasterer. So you went away and learned how to plaster a house. And, and I know you've done two bed flats on your own and all the rest of it. He said, um, but that was a bit ridiculous. And I said, well, do you know what? I love to learn how you do things, not necessarily so that I can do it, Mm. all the time but i understand the process i understand the difficulties the time spent the efforts and when somebody comes in and gives a quote and they start talking about stuff i just you know you stand there and you nod and you go yeah all right talk me through it so yeah materials for plastering that wall yeah okay undercoat one bag of multi-finish that's it we're talking whatever even with the inflation 25 quid and, the, and you're quoting me 500? Yeah, I don't think so. I think we need to have a chat about this quote. So <laughs> that kind of learn how to do it yourself gives you a level of education that can't be beaten because you've actually done it. I went away and qualified through all the electrical exams. So to be an electrician, I don't want to be an electrician, but to me, electricity was always a, a mystery. Now, what do you mean? stuff goes down a wire but doesn't go down a wire uh what do you mean you know you need a wire this fat to do that why what's going on and so i went away and did it um it took me it, it was intense took quite a long time um i think the pass rate on the exams is about 30 percent or something and i can understand why because um sally my wife uh, she she kept saying to me said uh you know why are you doing this? I said, look, I've never met, well, every electrician I've met didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge. It is not, you know, it can't be rocket science, can it? Anyways, I came home with these books and I'm learning, plowing my way through a thousand questions to practice and all the rest of it. She just would walk past and just say, well, they're not all Oxford or Cambridge, are they? It can't be rocket science. And I just, yeah, yeah, very good, very good. But I tell you what, you soon realize when you've got to design a circuit, if you've got to design an installation, there's a hell of a lot to consider. And you get, you're, you're sort of the credibility of someone that comes in who's a qualified electrician. You go, okay, I know what you've gone through. I know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. And I'm willing to pay for that knowledge. Whereas some people just think, 
Ah, electrics, bit of wire here, bit of wire there. Just put it in. What, what, you know, what could possibly go wrong? How hard can it be? <laughs> yeah, and it's only when you realize. I mean, one of the guys on the course, he was a landlord, and he, he came back, he came back, and he just went, I don't bloody believe it. He said, I've just been down to a house because the guy said the electrics aren't working properly. And I walked into the house and he's got an enormous TV on the wall, but mm -hmm. it's on a wall where you can see that it's a long way from the plug. So rather than run, you know, he said, what would a normal person do? They'd probably get one of those four gang extensions, plug it into a plug, run it on the cable, just lay it around the corner of the, the room. And then the dangling plug from this thing that he said, that was basically an IMAX cinema wedged into a two bed terrace house. <laughs> but he said, you'd, you'd plug it into that. There you go. You're into the sockets. You know, it's nice and safe. I said, I walked in. He said, the lights, the, the dangling pendant light was at a funny angle. And I realized that he had taken the plug off the TV and the cable was now stretching to this dangling pendant in the middle of the room. And he had uh, some insulating tape wrapped around three bits of connection to the light, which he'd sort of dismantled the light fittings. So the light fitting was powering his TV. And he kept, and he said, do you know, the electrics in this house are rubbish. They keep going off and things keep going wrong. And um, he looked, my friend said, uh, I looked at this TV and I stood there and I looked at the light hanging at a crazy angle as the tautness of the, the wire to the TV was stretching it. I said, I, I stood there and I just put my finger up and pointed to it. And it, he said, said, well, what's this? And the guy just went, I don't know. It wasn't me. Um, some electrician came in and did it. <laughs> he said, no, he didn't. He said, what have you been doing? He said, I haven't done anything. The electrician came in and told me I had to do it like that. He said, and what? electrician was this well it was the bloke you sent i haven't sent anyone he said you did this didn't you well i might have done well what were you thinking well that was the only bit that would reach and i said you utter clown and he said you know when i said you do realize that if, if he said what else have you done he said before i go around the rest of the house he said is this like a me going to Vietnam down the tunnels and there's going to be more booby traps elsewhere what else have you done in this house and and he he said you know how crazy is it and and the if you'd have done the electrician's course you'd have realized how dangerous it was and that that could have killed you during the night as it just melts the wire and starts a fire and it's that lack of education mm. it's that that craziness that sometimes leads us to do silly things now everyone would look at that and go Ray, you know, you can't wire something like that. You know that's stupid. And, and you sort of go, yeah. But I tell you what, some people do just that same level of craziness when it comes to buying a property, buying a business. They don't do their due diligence. And due diligence is, is just a posh way for a bit of education. 
a bit of mm -hmm. knowledge about something. So, yeah, I just wanted to just throw that in there on the education. I think it's great. It's the biggest difference potentially between success and failure, knowing mm -hmm. what you're doing and not knowing what you're doing. And it all comes down to education. So folks, do not underestimate it. Do not begrudge paying for it. If you think about it, um, my lad who's just finished university has just paid three years at 9,500 a year. His first six months, they were on strike. The next 18 months, they were uh, locked down and did remote learning. And the final year, they were on strike again. So he's he's got great value for money on that, plus all his accommodation, all the rest of it. So you're looking at going to university for £50,000. Okay, try spending £50,000 on something that is actually going to help you in your job or your future directly, uh, which property education, how to raise money education, those sort of things. You would be hard pushed to to spend £50,000 to get yourself going. Um, so, you know, people are willing to throw money at university, less so at other things. And I find it strange, but there we go. So anyway, Ray, we haven't got very far on this so far, have we? No, we haven't. Um, <laughs> I think we, we, we're calling this part one. So we've, part covered one. Track, we've covered track record, we've covered experience, we've covered employment history, and we've covered education yeah. in part one. And uh, I think we'll bring this episode to a close and we'll cover the rest of them in part two. Of All right. Excellent. Excellent. Is that it? <laughs> That's it. Happy Ray McLennan. <laughs> yeah, we love to finish on a, a crescendo. <laughs> eh? That's like Pavarotti dropping the mic and walking off. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I'm still Nigel T. Best. Cheers then. Thank you for listening to the How to Raise Money podcast. It's made for people who want to raise money as debt or investment equity for their business or property proposal or empire. The website has all the useful links and underlying research, and you can get downloads of the checklists and other useful information. See you next time, where we can show you how to raise money. There is abundance. There is money enough for everyone on the planet. The question is, who has yours?